It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. After reading A Radical Awakening, which is available in bookstores now, A Radical Awakening, or you can download it just like that on Apple Books. You truly had your own Radical Awakening. Yes. And then decided to bring the rest of us along. Is that how it happened? You know, as our children grow and we realize that they do not make our identity, we women then go through our own midlife crisis. And that's what happened to me. Who am I now that my child doesn't need me? How do I define myself? And that's when I began uncovering my own authentic self in a very powerful way. You say in the introduction of Radical Awakening that we all yearn to be free, yet we feel engaged in our daily lives, consumed by fear and unworthiness. And what these pages in A Radical Awakening promise you is a path out of the cage toward a new vision of yourself. And what do you see as that new vision? The radically emancipated woman is one who steps out of this engagement of her civility and her indoctrinated fear. You see, we women have been encaged and trapped in what we now know as this modern toxic patriarchy. And this patriarchy has kept us suppressed. So toward that vision, we need to wake up. The first step of waking up is to understand that we've been asleep, that we've Mm. been unconscious. We've been in this drugged, fogged state of civility, subjugation and degradation at the hands of the toxic patriarchy. And then to radically awaken, and this is really hard for women to do, for all humans to do, is to stare at ourselves in the mirror and to own and claim how now we have become our greatest perpetrators. And that ownership of our co-creation is the radical awakening. Well, it's so interesting all that you're saying, because as I look in the culture today, I see hordes of women, many, many, many women who consider themselves to be woke, awakened, um, living the lives that they say they want to live. 
they don't feel like they've been sleeping, have been sleeping, or or being ordered by any kind of you know cultural in, indoctrination at all. So this idea of sleeping, who are you specifically talking about? Are you talking about all of us? Are we sleeping? Don't know we were asleep. I think we are all asleep till we awaken, and in order to awaken, we have to go through a spiritual quest of unlayering and unpeeling from the cultural matrix. So for those women who I'm so happy for, I would question whether their metric of worth lies in the hands of the other or the self. That is the linchpin. Where does our metric of worthiness lie? Does it come mm. and emanate from a source deep within us or is it tethered to external indicators of worth, achievement, success, competition. And you and I know that with this era of social media, these mm. women are enslaved by the other. Worthiness by what coming. What we look like, what yes. we look like, what we dress like, what we have, where we live, how many square footage, what we drive, who who our friends are, where we where we vacation, what we serve at our tables. Everything is Instagrammed to the world to yes. say, look at me, this is who I am yes. compared uh, to. And, and look at how I'm fitting into the matrix, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. They're screaming, let me belong to the matrix. But the ownership of that takes courage. And there's no shame in saying I was a slave to the matrix. I was. And I, I see that process of awakening as worthy of celebration, but in order to start that quest, you have to first own the shadow, which is, I am asleep. If you don't own the conditioning, how are you going to liberate yourself from the clutches of the matrix? You have to own that you're in it first. Correct, correct. Do you think women are really ready to claim this power? Because I think I see to a great extent women in the world living their lives and thinking they have the power and, you know, in videos, in Instagram, in certainly in our, what's being reflected back to us in our culture is this idea of women taking ownership of themselves. You're saying that it is not from a, a deep enough sense of ourselves or what, what are you saying about this moment and where women stand in this moment in terms of radical awakening or not? Well, we are in an interesting time where women are definitely more out of their shells, but there is a tendency for these women to tend towards exhibitionism. So being out there and being on screen could be a portal to power, but the real indicator of power has nothing to do with how you exhibit yourself. The true metric of power is your inner worthiness. So as much as women are now more out there on the billboards, on Instagram, taking charge of their business and entrepreneurial spirits, all power to them for that. But as long as they stay enslaved to the tethers in the external world, that power will be transient. True authentic power, as we know, arises from this deep communion with the self. And in order to arrive there, it's not about becoming flashy and famous at 27. It's about going on this journey to, to reclaim that, which means to peel away those false layers of self that culture has put on every human 
and then to discover that authentic bud within the lotus. Wow. And you say that a common question at the root, and I have found this too in my oh-so-powerful, brilliant, articulate, intelligent African girls, there is at the root of so many of them this sense of, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Because for so many of them, they've come through trauma, and that's what trauma does. But we've all been on the spectrum of trauma or the spectrum of life that makes people feel in some way, I'm not really worthy. But there is this sense of, I, am I good enough, is the common thread that runs through our culture. And I will tell you that in the thousands of interviews that I did uh, on those years of the Oprah show, that was always the underlying theme of every subject, no matter what we were actually talking about. It is the searing question of the modern era because in this culture, that this matrix that we have co-created together, where greed and competition and success are the markers of worth, that sets us up to eternally have that question, am I good enough? Because we are pivoting our sense of self to the external world. We are raised, drugged, indoctrinated, highly conditioned to look for worth on the outside, So, as lo- especially us women. So as long as that's the case, the question will always remain in the ambiance, am I good enough? It's only when our entire culture realizes the futility of looking for the self in the external world, and that takes a major paradigm shift, but each one of us can begin in our own daily lives, then we repivot, we turn the paradigm back to the inner self and understand that that goodness, that sense of worth is something that is self-delivered, it's self-celebrated, it's self-redeemed. No one can give it to you ever. 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 And the work sometimes takes a lifetime. And you say most women are trained from early childhood to crave what you call the triple threat. What is that? Women especially are trained to be disconnected to the inner self and serve the other. You know, it's our nature as females to be giving, to be nurturing, to be caretakers. This comes naturally. It's in our emotional DNA. But when it is uh, emanating in this toxic patriarchy, we veer so far from that giving nature that we lose ourselves. And we don't know where that line is. So girls especially are trained through the milk that we get from our mother's breast to forever forage for the three things I talk about, approval, validation, and praise. And these are so core to our foraging Mm -hmm. and for our worth. Approval, which really means, do you give me permission? Approval, do you even give me permission to exist? Validation, do you honor who I am? Am 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 I okay the way I am? And praise is, do you celebrate me for who it is mm-hmm. I am. And because girls are trained to give up their inner voice in their giving to the other, we lose any sense of inner connection looking for the other to validate us and looking for that approval, that validation, that praise. And we forever 
search for it in all the wrong places, in the smoothness of our skin, in the roundness of our buttock, in the achievement in the workplace. All of it, all of it. Macy's Mother's Day gift guide has the perfect gift to make mom feel special. Shop by price, like 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and for grandma. Get top gifts like Dolce & Gabbana Devotion, Eau de Parfum, Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag, and Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash gift finder. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. One of the most profound insights that you shared in Radical Awakening as a therapist is something that struck me too. You said, we don't live a life, we live a pattern. A bunch of bells just went bing, 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 bing for me when I read that. Uh, We don't live a life, we live a pattern. How do we begin to discover that unconscious pattern? I think, you know, when you read Radical Awakening, just when you see that sentence, you stop to think immediately about how have I followed that pattern in my own life and what is that pattern? So explain to us what you mean. You know, it's uncanny how predictable our lives are. We repeat themes from the prior generation. We repeat emotional traumas and states of being and the disconnect. So in many ways, we are just vestiges of the past generation. That's why it's so imperative that one of us somewhere down the pike breaks the pattern and disrupts the old ways of unworthiness being passed down generation after generation. So who is going to be that pattern disruptor? It depends on every family, but one in every family will come along. And I believe in my family, I have played that role to some degree. And it's a scary embodiment to to take that charge, to take that lead, because all eyes look at you and there's shame and there's uh, the sense of guilt that you're breaking out of the mold. You feel disloyal. You feel like you're betraying the traditions of the past. But yet, when you realize that you've just been living this pattern of shame and unworthiness, just looking different in doing so. You have curly hair while doing it or you're, you know, you're gay while doing it. It doesn't matter. It's the inner emotional core that is being repeated, just manifesting in different ways. This is an epiphany in itself when you realize, oh my goodness, it's the same pattern of shame, fear, and unworthiness. This is at our emotional core. It just looks different, wrapped up in different colors. 
And this is what every client comes to see. And it's a shocking epiphany, but it's also the gateway to their liberation. Yes, and you you speak in um, Radical Awakening about this moment where the girl is just out of college and she's dated a guy off and on in college and they're walking down the aisle and they're doing the same thing that her parents did because that cultural indoctrination says this is what you do and this is what we've always done and... That, 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 that's the pattern you're talking about. We just sort of move into the thing without thinking about it. I'm going to get married because, of course, I'm going to get married because that's what my parents right. did. And yes, uh huh. And this is the matrix I'm talking about that we pass down our children uh, through this prescription list. You will do this. This is the God you will pray to. This, these are the traditions you will follow. And veering off that list will bring ostracism. It'll bring uh, a lot of uh, shame upon the family. So you dare follow your inner voice. So we grow up with the realization that our authentic will, our unique connection to our own inner voice, is to be absconded in favor of the matrix, the cultural voice. And that overweighs our own inner governance. So right from the start, we're playing to the tune and the fiddle of the external world, puppeteered to gain validation from following that prescription list. So breaking free from that, and that's the reason why so many of us stay mired in unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships, because that's even better than breaking free from the matrix and suffering the potential ostracism. Because one of the wonderful things that you've said out loud in this book uh, a Radical Awakening, you talk about marriage and divorce in a way that is groundbreaking, I think. I think everyone in the world needs to hear it. You say this, marriage is applauded for one thing above all, its longevity. The quality of those years doesn't really matter, nor does the degree of growth. We don't talk about marriage in terms of inner transformation all we care about is the length of time two people spend together. I just went, oh, you are so right. People will say they've been together 27 years. Nobody, nobody says what those 20, that they slugged right. through them. Right. They were horrible to each other. They're miserable. They barely talk to each other. But they've been together 27 years. Right. The reason why divorce is so shunned and frowned upon is because the marriage model is faulty. <laughs> the marriage model is based oh. on longevity, like you said, not growth. So it's a life sentence, which you you pass over to your beloved at the young unconscious age of whatever, however young you were, you were certainly unconscious. And you've pledged your entire existence to this partnership. But longevity, the number of years you put in, it's like a life sentence. And the longer, the more honored you are. It comes also from a suffering mindset, from a scarcity mindset. It doesn't matter how evolved you are, how happy you are, how transformed you are by the other, how supported you are. It really is about compromise. And well, everything is a sacrifice. Sacrifice, yes. <laughs> yes. Everything is a sacrifice. Right, yes. thou shalt suffer. It's this, it's this model married through religion and infused uh, through legislation that really speaks to control, 
possession and the length of time, not about the quality. And it's it's the judicial system along with the religious institution that have abducted marriage and made it this one unifocus, how long are you together? And if you're not married, it's a failure. It's a very dualistic model and it it pervades with dysfunction simply because it doesn't honor the the growth and evolution of each individual. It, there's no space for right. you to change or to right. change your mind. Or, or, or honor what is a, a real spiritual partnership, which Gary Zukav defined for me years ago in, in Seed of the Soul as a partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. And as long as you are growing in that direction where each of you feels that you are evolving as you should, that is... The, the, the connection, that's where the real connection lies. But you're yes. right, no focus on that. That's why I think that is a radical thought, a radical thing you're saying about marriage and longevity and how we measure the success of a marriage is based on, its, on, on how many years you've been together. You write about your divorce also in the book and say, I was attached to the idea of being a good Indian girl who would never get divorced and a good mother who would never break up her family. My attachment to these ideas kept me in great suffering. So I wanna know how did you, a good Indian girl, uh, come to this moment of clarity where you knew that you could no longer continue in your marriage? As one evolves, and this happened with me, we begin to shed our labels and our judgments of ourselves. So each word you said, good, Indian, and girl, I realized were artifacts that were holding me in bondage. There's no such thing as good. There's no such thing as bad, right? When you begin to understand these labels of good and bad are cultural and self-imposed judgments that keep us tied to civility and inauthenticity because they're defined by the current trend of what is good and bad, you know. Then the next label, Indian, what does that really mean? Am I Indian? And then how to be Indian is also a prescription that was handed to me, not one that I occupied or claimed from my own free will. It was given to me and I was told how to be Indian without my say. And girl, how to be a girl. That is culturally prescribed. So I began to realize that being a good Indian girl or a good Jewish boy, it doesn't matter. These are labels and judgments that we have adhered to and affixed our identity with, which are most likely nothing to do with who it is we authentically are. So the shedding process began for me, as it does for everyone who's on this spiritual quest. You begin to shed. Well, what does it mean? to be that? Why am I so attached to that? What does it mean to be a mother, a wife? What are these labels? Why is my identity affixed to these words, to these ideas, to what other people think of me? And as I began to unlayer and unpeel these judgments for myself and come to that emptiness of self that the spiritual process takes us toward, where we realize that we are not what other think, others think of us. We are not the opinion or judgments of culture. When we arrive at that liberated, emancipated place, we then come to fearlessness, to courage, where no one defines us. And you're out of the matrix then. You've kind of flown out of the coop 
and you've discovered that you have wings that take you to limitless potential. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. So, so many women choose to stay in unhealthy relationships for the sake of their children. What do you want to say about that? I have deep compassion. I was riddled with shame and fear, guilt at being at the helm of dissolving this family, this ideal family, this image I had in my own mind. It is not an easy place. I will not claim it was a one, two, three process. When I began to realize that my emancipation would result in the emancipation of all, when I realized that my claiming of my authenticity would result in the claiming of my ex's authenticity and my daughter's authenticity. When I arrived at that place of surety, only then could I really cut the cord. So I advise women that this is a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. It is the evolution of your own power. And when you enter that power, then the choice becomes very easy and clear. But don't do it because you're running away out of fear, because the fear will follow you. So I made sure to resolve as many of my issues around unworthiness and fear and shame and guilt while still in the marriage. The, I did not seek to escape the marriage to then resolve my issues. I knew that the marriage was a mirror where I needed to grow. So I first needed to resolve whatever was left incomplete and then I could exit the marriage having completed the work that needed to be done. Then the quote-unquote divorce is seen as, a, as the celebration of a completion, not as the beginning of the unraveling. And you say divorce is not a separation from the family, but moving away from what no longer serves the inner emerging self. No winners or losers, only greater good of everyone. What's radical to me about this way of thinking that you're introducing is that a lot of people have felt this themselves. It's not divorcing the person, it's divorcing a way of being that has no longer become in alignment with who you see yourself to be. So you're divorcing that so that there is an emergence into a truer sense of your own self. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and there needs to be a major cultural shift of which we women need to take the leadership and support each other so that the marriage doesn't become this place of stagnation, dysfunction, fear, petrification. But instead, when we women support each other, we allow for the exoneration of all that shame and guilt 
that so many women feel subjugated. Women need to be told, it's okay to leave. We will support your children. We got you. We're together. We're a community, a sisterhood that will stand by you. And women need to hear this message so they never stay in dysfunction and paralysis simply because the culture doesn't allow them to move forward. Well, that is, I mean, you're, you're at the forefront of this. And I think that that is really radical when you can make that shift where women are supporting each other. You say something in Radical Awakening that was really so powerfully moving to me when you shared the personal story about as a young girl being an attractive young girl and attracting men. And you shared the fact that you were um, sexually assaulted several times and what you wish the women had said to you then. Can you share that? Because I think that is the true radical awakening for women and girls. And, you know, my producers and I were talking about this who've, you know, read your book. Those of you who are listening to us, I hope you will read this book because this is how we change the world. So will you, will you share what you wish you'd been told? Yes. So as a young child, I was molested all over the place and many times throughout my childhood. And I knew implicitly not to complain about. I knew who held the power and the power was in my perpetrator. Even though they were doing something wrong, I knew without a word having to be told to me that I was me to too. remain silenced and to be cowering in fear and to pledge allegiance to that silent, ongoing perpetration. And I remember looking around at my aunts and my mother and older friends and wondering, why is everyone complicit here? Why? Surely it's happened to only a thousand women before me. Why didn't anyone prepare me? And it is this silent complicity that needs to end, where we women allow this to happen over and over again. Yes, the men have their own undertaking, their own emotional evolution to endure. We cannot expect the oppressors to change. And this is where the real internal uprising takes over the stage. When we realize it's the ones who are being subjugated that need to rise up. We can always bemoan the pre predator, but the true power of the servile rises when they transfer their civility into empowerment. So I wondered, why didn't these women empower me? And the empowerment comes in telling me that I was going to be prey. So I wish someone had held me by the shoulders, one of the women in my family, and had warned me, girl, you are going to be prey. You will be preyed upon. And while this is frustrating and traumatic, your empowerment will rise because you are now aware. And in your awareness, you can prepare yourself. You can arm yourself with the support of your sisters. You can make sure you speak up against abuse. Never stay silent. Why didn't anyone tell me? And this is what we women now need to share with our daughters and the next generation. And, you know, we look at it as if it's our fault that we were preyed upon. It's our responsibility to stop the perpetration. We cannot. Nature made us the smaller sex. 
Whether we like it or not, there will be domination by the physically more powerful. There is no shame in that. You know, when I spoke up about my molestation in my early 20s, I remember my friends warning me, you know, I don't know whether you want to share that in your PhD program. People will look at you in, yeah. a, in a wrong way. And I remember saying to her, but it, has, it is not my fault. It is a fact of my reality. And if I avoid reality, I'm allowing for silent complicity. And I refuse to be a silent witnesser and co-creator of this. The more we speak up, and this is what we saw in the Me Too movement. Why did it take decades for women to speak up, if not for their fear of ostracism and subjugation? One of the most radical statements you make in the book is what you wish the women had come to you and said. And I think it's on page 162 in, in yes. the book. Would you, would you mind reading what, what that is? You are a girl who will grow into a woman. From now on until old age, you will forever be preyed upon. Not all men see women as prey, but many do. Your awareness of this fact will be to your advantage. It will empower you. There is nothing to feel bad about. It is just the way of nature. By being aware of this, you won't be caught off guard. You will be on guard, ever present. You will protect yourself wisely, knowing that when these unwanted advances come, you can call upon your sisters for support. You must reach out for help. You are to speak up and speak out against any abuse. There is no shame in being a victim of a predator. It is not your fault if this happens. It doesn't make you victimized for life. That's what you wished someone had said. Yes. And I, you know, I think if the women of the world, especially in your case, where there were women in your community who were jealous of you because of your beauty, because of your uh, ability to attract other men and I recall in Radical Awakening, you talk about an older woman who says you're not going to be beautiful always and using that as, you know, something to disparage you. So people saw that you were a pretty girl going to grow into an attractive woman, knew that there was trouble and there was a way to prepare you for it. And they did not. And I think for all the girls in our culture, if we come together as women and say, Girls, this is how it is. You know, in The Color Purple, that famous line that my character Sophia has now become infamous, a girl child ain't safe in a world full of men's, she says. And that is true. If we were able to, as, as a community of women, offer that to, to girls in a way that is empowering and not shaming. Because yes. I was told it, but I was told it, don't you be fast. Don't you be acting fast around these men and you better keep your dress down and you better, you know, keep your pants up. You better like it's my fault. Yes. The woman's fault when something happens to you, which is how. Yes, how, and that's the th shift. That's right. Which is how I felt at yes. nine so years that, old, that, at 10 years old, at 12 years old. It's my fault that this happened to me. Right. So awareness brings about empowerment. Empowerment. In your case. 
in your case and in my case, awareness took us to paralysis. They said, Correct. hey, it's, dan- it's dangerous out there, so you play small. So you make sure you fit in. So make sure you put yourself behind in the line so that you're not noticed. But we in this book are saying, no, awareness brings about sororal community. Let your sisters celebrate you so that together you are a force to be reckoned with. And let me just say, the men are not the enemy. You know, the unconscious man himself needs to be awakened into his own true autonomous embodied power. He's split off from his power too. This is not authentic power. This is borrowed power. This is power that he's gotten through inauthenticity, through greed, through violence, through domination. Mm -hmm. The man who rapes is not in his sovereign heart. He's not in his feminine principle. So our young boys need to be taught and educated that you have all these raging hormones. You're wired to be visually stimulated. You are wired to want to, quote-unquote, spread your seed. You have tremendous sexual energy. But your true power, the man's liberation, will come when he marries his masculinity with his feminine heart. But we need to teach our 14-year-old horny boys how to manage their sexuality so that they don't become toxic predators. Uh, I think you're going to raise a lot of eyebrows in this book when you talk about this section of men, how they're programmed, as you just said, to have a wondering eye. And in many ways, you're saying they cannot help themselves. Uh, I think they can. Well, let me, let me I think explain. They can. Because, yeah. I think they can. I know this, well, could what, get, what, get, get, this is going to get yes. a lot of people fired up because they can help themselves. We need to... As conscious, conscious yes. yes, we need consciousness. So what I meant in that whole section is I paid homage to nature, how males across species and females, how our bodies are designed. I talked about having reverence for this amazing female body. It is our female body that is so precisely designed to nurture and caretake and to receive and to give that makes us enter that mothering principle, whether we choose to execute the exact mother role or not. Similarly, the male is given the onus of proliferation, of spreading the gene. And I'm just talking about nature. So men are wired, just like we are wired with all our oxytocin and love hormones and connectivity. We are wired. We are primed to be caretakers on some deeply biological level. So all I was saying, and feminists don't need to raise their arms against me, was that men are wired in certain ways too. They're wired to be visually stimulated, for example. And their true evolution comes in understanding their wiring, just like we need to understand ours, and harness that through consciousness through the marriage of their masculine power with their feminine heart. Both of us, both so-called sexes, need to integrate the masculine with the and feminine. And we need to understand the power and magnificence of that golden egg, because you were talking about why there are, why, where there are millions of sperm, there is still that one egg, all the sperm are going I, up the know, channel just for. Using yeah. Right. But using that biological framework helps us understand what tremendous psychological power we women have that we have given up to the patriarchy in our own way. So using that analogy of that, all those thousand sperms coming for that one precious egg, 
gives the woman the awareness. We, we hold the power. She can choose. Yes. She, we hold the power. So when we don't embrace this power and we in, in give it, prostitute it away to the patriarchy by competing with each other and, and not owning our aging, not owning our saggy bottoms, but instead out-beauting the other, we actually inject steroids into the very patriarchy that we say oppresses us. And that's where our co-creation comes. We need to honor that we age. We need to honor that we each have different shapes. We objectify ourselves in our own degrading ways. And until we can own that in the mirror, that we ourselves participate in this so-called objectification, how can we claim that power back? Whoa, that's radical. <laughs> that's radical. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You, uh, you write that setting boundaries is not the act of a selfish person, but the act of a selfless person. I think that's still so challenging for so many women in particular particularly those who are like you and like myself, who are empaths, you know, who feel what other people are feeling. You want to give whatever you can. You want to serve. You want to be there for, for people. Um, the setting boundaries, though, is not an act of a selfish person, but the act of a selfless person. Yes. So most women are caregivers and empaths along a continuum, some more than others. In this giving, what has happened to us is that we have lost all self-authority and self-governance. We have somehow equated being loving with, the, with meaning that we need to have no sense of self. Hmm. This is to our folly. This is how we allow the patriarchy to override us. This is our participation because we give up our voice. We somehow equate being lovely human beings with being inauthentic. We have a real battle within us, a conflict between authenticity and niceness. Yes, We've been so yes, trained to be nice yes. that being authentic feels like a war. You know, like now we're engaging in a battle. So to say no feels so scary for us because we've been trained that you don't say no. You gain your worth, you gain love, you gain belonging through, through genuflecting to the other, right? So that's the indoctrination. So when we do this and we stay inauthentic and we stay with the false self, we actually don't allow the others around us to be autonomous and grow. We stay codependent and we make them dependent on our niceness, which means we never engage in conflict. And it is through conflict, through the, the opposing dichotomies of life, through dialectic uh, debate, that we come to the growing edges of pain that we can grow, mm -hmm. right? But by, by not allowing the other to engage in that, because we're just simply saying yes, because we're so terrified of authentic debate and dialogue. We actually rob the other from growing up. And then we complain that the men around us are babies. Well, we have something to do with that as mothers, as women. We, we keep ourselves in that subjugated position to be nice, because that's what we were told. But we have to trade niceness for authentic power, for authenticity, because through authenticity and transparency, we 
force, we challenge the other to evolve. And therefore, it's a selfless thing to do. You say, and I think this is a big one, we have to release our parents and release the past. And only when we release them are we fully free. Please explain. Parents and children stay enmeshed in this parasitic relationship of enmeshment and codependency. Parents do it by keeping their claws into owning their children. And children do it because we are such obedient children typically that we pay homage to that relationship by giving up ourselves to our parents. So parents and children symbiotically stay in this parasitic relationship where really no one grows. It is that rebellious child I talk about, that quote-unquote bad child that truly awakens the parent, right? I always tell parents, I hope you have at least one bad child because that child is going to awaken you. What does that bad child do? That bad child says, hey, you don't own me. I'm going to be my own healer, my own redeemer. I'm going to claim my own destiny. Now, in the reverse, we children also keep our parents under our possession through our neediness, through our dependency, through our not growing up on our own. And I say to all my clients, you know, I'll give you till the age of 21. Okay, I'll give you till the age of 30. But at some point, you must release your parents from their parenting role. They have to move into the role of ally and guide and your evolution will dictate that. So free your parents. Don't hold them to raising you for the rest of your life. And taking ownership as a child of your own healing is the mark of the adulting process. So what is the first step one needs to become radically awakened? So I wish that I could say that the first step is to just recognize and become yeah. aware. I wish it was that yeah. simple. But here's the beauty of life, and you and I have talked about this in the past. Life will awaken you. So life will bring you your unconsciousness as a mirror over and over again. At some point, you will hit rock bottom. As a therapist, I wait for that, not out of a voyeuristic pleasure, but because I know that it is when you hit rock bottom that the pain is so severe that the ego's false ways simply cannot hold up anymore and the ego, the veneer of the ego cracks. And that is the beginning of the portal of the authentic self. So pain is the portal to awakening. Mm. That's why this book is called Turn Pain Into Power. And, and is it ever possible to wake up without having to go through the pain? Because I literally, I wake up some mornings have, having been through crises and say, Lord, don't teach me nothing new today. I got enough lessons. So can I just learn from some good stuff instead of having to go through the pain? Oprah, that means you've been through the cracking of your right. ego. You know, you've been through the shedding of your skin. And then you arrive at this place, this unbearable lightness of being where you can't believe there's no more pain of the false self. Yeah. You've arrived at your own emergence. You've arrived at your true birthing. That is a glorious place. And that's what this book seeks to take parents down this path on. However, till you get there, there will be pain. There's pain. And the pain needs to be leaned into. You see, culturally, we avoid pain. Yes. Pain has, is the bad guy, but in, in, in the spiritual journey, 
Pain is the transforming agent, and it is only through pain that the false self falls away to give rise to the true self. Well, if you are asking the question of how do you move into radical awakening, your life will show you the answer. I mean, in the beginning of this book, you talk about ending up literally in an accident near a tree with, you know, yourself in a situation that you never imagined yourself to be in. And it literally is the universe trying to say to you, wake up. Can you just relay that story? Yes, uh, it was in my 40s. I think the 40s are a pivotal time for women because they've checked off so many things off mm -hmm. the list and redemption hasn't been easy. And you're wondering where is that sense of peace? So in the 40s, things begin to crack. And I was driving and sleepless and fatigued and being the mother and being the wife and a PhD student and trying to achieve it all and go to the gym at five in the morning and cook my best meals. And I literally fell asleep at the wheel. Talk about the, sim the outward yeah. manifestation, the symbol of my inner self. I was asleep the at the wheel. And my car drove off the side of the road and almost banged into a tree into my death. So here I was when I woke up jolted, I began to realize, I knew immediately that this was an outer manifestation of a serious inner disconnect. And my soul had been chipping away and eroding till I was literally veered off my path. I had veered off the road toward my true authentic destiny. And I saw that as just the perfect metaphor for how far away I had moved from my truth in my desperate seeking for worth through my roles, through the perfect student, through the perfect wife, through the perfect mother, through the perfect body, I was taking myself step by step away into the tree of decimation. And I realize now what needed to be decimated was those false ideas of perfection, was my incessant search for self on the outside, and was my desperate fear for being truthful. I knew that that needed to be eroded. Otherwise, my soul would truly die. So it was a choice point. And life gives us these unbearable choice points. And if we can just be brave enough to lean into them, to ask, what is this telling me about where I need to grow? Mm. And see it as an invitation and surrender to it with grace and courage. There is a, a period, I call it the no woman's land or the no man's land, that tunnel which is treacherous, it is unknown, it is familiar. There is no escaping that treacherous journey, the dark night of the soul, but then redemption is on the other side. Well, that is the most important question I ask for anything showing up in my life in crisis. What you just said, and my question is always, what is this here to teach me? And you were saying the same thing, really. What is this here to show me about myself? What is this here to reveal? And I just want everybody who's listening to us to know, nothing is showing up out of order from you. If it's showing up, it's there to offer you a lesson about yourself. And, you know, you were blessed enough to not to be permanently injured or not to suffer, but just to literally have the jolt of your car going off the road and almost hitting a tree. To, and, and, and you were wise enough to, to know, this is not just a car going off a road. This is me literally uh, going to sleep behind the wheel of my own life. 
When you can listen to your life, Oprah, carefully attuned, looking for the metaphors, looking for the reflection of the inner in the outer, you do not enter victim consciousness. And I really need women to understand that they are active co-creators. They may not have initiated the perpetration, but they are active co-creators. So everything showing up, like you said, is part of them from the inside out. And when we can take it as an invitation, as a mirror, as a resonance to the inner self, now we begin to get guidance from, quote-unquote, the mistake, from the near-death experience, from the terminal illness, from the divorce. Now those are guiding points to tell us, hey, time to move in the from other the direction. From the loss of a job, and if from only, the loss of a job, from yes. the ending of a relationship, from all of the things that encounter that, that we encounter in our daily lives are there to help you to rise to another way of being in your life. Yes. Yeah. That's the radical awakening when you get that, that everything is showing up right. to help you rise. Everything is showing up. Right. You, there is no other, there is no victim consciousness. Everything is your best ally, teacher, and guide. So you end the book with this beautiful passage you say, the most profound shift I hope you will allow is that you will connect to yourself differently, that you will have your own back and trust your own voice, that you will see yourself for the magnificent being that you are and that you will put yourself first. You are at the threshold of a new vision of yourself. Lean in, enter, you are ready your new world awaits. Beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this radical awakening. It's a life-enhancing read. I am hoping that you will be able to feel the shift from all the people who received the message that you have so generously uh, offered to the world. So thank you so much, Dr. Shabali. Thank you, thank you, thank Dr. you. Dr. Shivali also reads the audio version. So if you get the audio version, if you love audio books, you will have this melodic voice in your ear teaching you the lessons of radical awakening. So thank you, everybody. Goodbye. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.